0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Some of you have read, I'm sure, The Wind and the Willows. It's a story maybe you read when you were in school, but there's a, a scene in that book, where two characters, the rat and the mole, hear a heavenly voice, and this voice is calling like wind in the willow trees, and here's part of what they hear from this voice. You shall look on my power at the helping hour. As I loose the snare, you may glimpse me there. Healer and helper, strays I find, wounds I bind. It's God speaking. And and all that the mole can hear first is the wind as they approach the island where the willow trees were. And the rat whispers, in this holy place, surely if anywhere, we shall find him, capital H. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head And rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, mysteriously, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. But it was an awe that smote him and held him. And without seeing, he knew it could only mean that some august or majestic presence was very, very near With difficulty, he turned to look for his friend, and he saw him crouching to the earth, stricken and trembling violently. Perhaps he would have never dared to raise his eyes, but that call and the summons still seemed dominant and imperious. He might not refuse were death himself waiting to strike him instantly. Once he had looked with mortal eye on things rightly kept hidden. Trembling, he obeyed the call. And he raised his humble head. And as he looked, he lived. And still as he lived, he wondered, shaking. Are you afraid? His friend replied. Afraid? His eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh, more. I am afraid. And then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship. That's the right response of any creature before a holy God, of all creatures of our God and King. And, and we saw that last week in Isaiah chapter 6. And you heard it read earlier today in Revelation chapter one And we're going to see it again in Exodus 3, if you would be turning there, where Moses also hears this, this call, this summons, and he, he looks and, and he sees him. It's at a burning bush, but, but he hides his face because he's afraid to, to look at God. And some of the other passages talking about this say he trembled at the sight I love Pastor Mark's message last week, and he quoted from Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. It's been said, fearing God is both a doorway and a pathway. It's, it's a new beginning, and it never ends. It, it's, it's the beginning of a house not like the 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 entryway of a house. It's the beginning, like you put the foundation down first, and then throughout the whole house. Not just to get you in the door. It undergirds and it supports everything. It's the beginning. The fear of the Lord is, in that sense, in chapter twenty of Exodus. God is going to say, "The fear of Him will keep you from sin." This is a major theme of the book. In, in fact. True worship, along with that, is a major theme of the book. In fact, this is why they need to leave Egypt, because God is going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may worship me. Ian Hamilton keeps saying over and over again, we always need to begin with God. And last week, some of you I know were at the Sacramento Gospel Conference, and as I came in, the, the program that was given to us had on the cover a portrait of the burning bush. He was speaking on the Holy Spirit. But that's a fitting image because the Holy One is a consuming fire, and yet, in Christ, we are not consumed. If we are in Christ, it's, it's like, like that fire was burning and the midst was not consumed. Later in Israel's history, there would be three... In Babylon, thrown into the fiery furnace, but they were not consumed. And as King Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel's friends, he sees in the midst there one like the Son of God. That's who is in the midst here of this bush as well, and it's not consumed. And the majestic presence around that area made it a holy place. It wasn't a holy place the day before, but it's now holy ground because God has come near to his people. But we need the same awe, and we need the same assurance that Moses needs and gets in this passage, that God is the helper, that God is the healer of his people and their afflictions. And there's many difficulties, many afflictions in this room. God is the helper, and he is the healer. And in this passage, he's going to loose the snare of Israel's slavery. He's going to show his power, his helping hour has come and we're going to see that now and man's response, man's part in all this is humbleness, reverence and it needs to be obedience. Look at Exodus 3 verse 10 and listen to the voice of the Holy One that we are to fear and love. Exodus 3 verse 10, come I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, He, this is God, said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve or worship God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed, and this is a deep word for seeing intimately and knowing you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites. And we'll stop there for now, but the title of this message... I got from Steve Lawson. I couldn't improve on it, so I'm using his title. I am you're not. I am and you're not. Another way to say God is God and we are not. And another way to say this wasn't about Moses, and and it's not about me or you. It's about God. And there's three questions from the text that I think are three. Some of the most important questions that could ever be asked. And those questions are, who am I? Like Moses says, verses 11 and 12. And then, who are you? Or who is the Lord? And verses 13 and following. And then, who is Christ for us? We'll see each of these out of the passage. But we start where verse 12 starts. But Moses said to God, who am I? I think that's where we need to start. As well, because before this holy God, he feels fully inadequate. And he should, and we should. But specifically for him, who am I to go to Pharaoh and deliver Israel? But this question had been asked before. Back in Abraham's time, Job asked, Who am I that I should reason with God and try to answer God? Abraham said, himself. Behold, I have undertaken to speak with the Lord, but, but who am I but dust and ashes? And Jacob, as he spoke with the Lord, said, I am not worthy of the least of all of the favor and the covenant love that you have shown to your servant. This is a good response to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job and us God's starting point for usefulness is humbleness, it's unworthiness, it's meekness like Moses. It was said in the American Revolution, there was this relatively common phrase, the meekness of Moses that that many of our forefathers on this continent spoke about is a quality for prospective leaders. And so John Adams in 1776 John Adams' second president. This is the year 1776 as this nation was forming. He writes a letter to a fellow revolutionary, and he he said this, The management of so complicated and mighty a machine as the united colonies requires the meekness of Moses, the patience of Job, and the wisdom of Solomon added to the valor of Daniel. Those are qualities that often have not marked our presidents, whether our current one or our last one, but this is a quality that we need. We need to pray for. We're actually, whatever the viewpoint we have towards those who are in leadership, this is what they need. They need meekness. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for governors. We need to pray for leaders to have wisdom, to have courage to do what's right and not just what politically makes sense. We need to pray and not just complain. We need to pray for them to have patience. And that's not just what leaders need. This is what we all need. When God calls us, we should have the same question in in our mind, if not out loud. Who am I? In fact, that exact Hebrew phrase, who am I, was was used two other times and and not in the sense of, of... excusing ourselves from serving the Lord. Who am I? I'm, I'm not worthy. I can't serve. It's actually used a couple other times for speaking in, in humility before politely accepting an incredible honor, a great grace. So David said to Saul, Who am I that I should become the king's son-in-law? He's not saying no and asking that, but he's, he's asking, who, who am I that I should receive this? And then to God, when he gives covenant grace to David in 2 Samuel 7, King David said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, that you have brought me thus far? And then when they're dedicating the, 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 the time has come for the temple to be built, he says, Who am I and what are my people that we should be able to give to such a cause? And this continues on into the New Testament. Elizabeth said, When When Mary came to her, she says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And Mary didn't use those exact same words, but she wonders and marvels and ponders this as well. And and, and as I'm reading this, I'm convicted. And and I I need to ask you, do you have this, this wonder that God would choose and use someone like you I think we need to look up sometimes like David did and say, when I look at the heavens, all that you created, the the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of us? What is the son of man, weak, frail humanity, that you would care for us? Because he does, and that's what we see in this passage, too. There's a song by This Hope. Some of you maybe have heard it when they sang here before, Who Am I? That the God of all the earth would care to know my name. That he would feel my hurt. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love again? Who am I is the right question. And notice how Moses responds actually notice how Moses doesn't respond he doesn't say I understand God why you would choose me I'm the right guy yeah this makes sense I was I was thinking about this I'm I'm the right guy I can do this no no what does he say he says who am I and who am I to go to Pharaoh he wanted me dead And that's actually, you can understand why he would say that. Who am I to get Egypt's respect? I've been 40 years living as a shepherd, which is the most abominable, detestable occupation to Egypt. I'm going to come back into Egypt and say, I'm a shepherd. I'm here to to speak for the Lord. Who who am I that I would deliver Israel? I mean, I tried to deliver Israel 40 years ago. I tried to deliver one Israelite who was getting beaten to death, and and they rejected my leadership. I, I couldn't even deliver them or persuade them that I was here to help? Who am I to persuade a couple million people that I'm the one who's going to lead them out? At this point, it's actually a very good and healthy response. Later on in the narrative, we'll, we'll see Moses gets weaker and struggles as he contemplates the, the, the depth of his task. But notice, God doesn't correct Moses here. God does not say, Moses, don't talk like that. Who am I? You are somebody special. Who are you? You are the man of the hour. You are worthy. You have the ability. Believe in yourself, Moses. You've got this. You can do it. You just need more self-esteem. That's how a lot of people would talk today. Even some Christian books are filled with that sort of thing. But no, look at God's reply in verse 12. He says, but... I will be with you. He doesn't say you're wrong, Moses, to feel unworthy to serve. He says, here's the answer. I will be with you. But I will be with you. Who am I is the right question. The answer is, but God. He is with me, and he is with you if you are in Christ. And this should should encourage us, because Moses may be incompetent, I don't just feel incompetent sometimes I am incompetent at times but but God is present for Moses and for me and it's not about our competence it's about God's presence it's not up to us and our competence it's about God's presence and he delights to use people who cannot do it on their own and who know it which is a good news for us when we feel weakness which I do all the time, and and wonder, what should I do? But if God is with us, and if God is for us, then who can be against us? If we have this God who says, but I will be with you, there's nothing that would be too hard for us if we are with him. It's because of him, not because of us. And this is not just something he says to Moses. This is something he says throughout the Bible. In fact, Joshua 3, as I was with Moses so I will be with you. And he says in that same book, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That wasn't just unique to the times of the Old Testament. That's how that language continues all through the New Testament as well. Gideon was fearful and wondering in his weakness how he could lead Israel in Judges 6 and the the Lord says to him, I will be with you. And so as we think about this point here, before we move on from this point, so I think as parents, this is instructive to us as, as Christians trying to help fellow Christians this is instructive to us. As we wonder sometimes, who am I? As we, as we feel and try to help others who feel inadequate or, or incapable or, or fearful, we need to remember these words, how God helps people in that state, knowing that God will be with you. And what we can't, he can and, and he will. And so it's, the message is not, you can do anything you set your mind to. That's not, that's not from the Bible. The message is this. God is with you for anything he calls you to. That's how God encourages Moses. So don't stop with who am I. Don't stop with who I am. We've got to keep going in this passage. Look to the God who says, I am and I will. And So that takes us from the first question of who am I, verses 11 to 12, to the second, who is the Lord? In verses 13 and 15. And the second point in question comes at the end of verse 13. If they ask, what is his name, what shall I tell them? Again, this is a good question. God, when he, he's called God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's a, that's a title. That's, it's kind of like man. Man is is not descriptive. Dave would be a name, but man would just be uh, identifying what type of being you are. And so he's asking this, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what's your name? In other words, what's your nature? What's your character? God, in verse 13, is the Hebrew Elohim. This is a generic word for God. It wasn't even specific to Israel's God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, they've been 400 years in Egypt. Uh, Certainly, they had heard stories, but they they didn't really... We don't know how much they were being taught of God 400 years later in slavery. Maybe nearly 430 years now. Abraham had also known God and spoken to him in different ways. Adonai, which means Lord, El Shaddai, which means the Almighty God. El is the first part of, of God. El Elyon, God Most High. El Olam, God Everlasting. And Yahweh or Jehovah, Jira, memorably. Abraham learned that, and, and they said, The Lord provides there at the Mount of Moriah. So, what Moses is, is asking here is not what do you prefer to go by? He's asking, by what power? Remember sometimes they would say in the New Testament, in what name or what authority did you do this miracle? What authority, what attribute? Moses is asking, do you want Egypt and and Israel to, to know so that they will know you? Verse 14, God said to Moses, and notice he doesn't directly answer the question initially, but this is important. I am Verses right here are some of the most monumental, foundational, awe-inspiring verses in all of the Bible. This is incredibly significant, this revelation of God here. And in verse 15, the Lord in most of your Bibles is is going to be in all capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And and that's related in, in the Hebrew to the verb for I am. But here it is a noun in verse 15, and it's a, a name. God is not a proper name, but this is Lord. In all caps, there is more than a title. This is a, a truth about God. He is. It is literally one way to render that. It's a, Lord is a third-person form of the I Am, an old form, apparently, that the, some of the older writers and hymns would transliterate as Jehovah. So we sing that, the great Jehovah, Today, most think a more likely pronunciation is Yahweh. But wherever you see the Lord in all caps, think Jehovah or Yahweh is his name, and he is the I Am. This is how he reveals himself. Verse 15, this is my name, he says. Properly speaking, the Lord's personal name is Yahweh. And it's going to be about, after this, nearly 7,000 times this name, Lord Yahweh is used in the Old Testament. This is His covenant name, often for His people. And in the context of verse 13, I am, and I will be with you. He's, he's affirming and giving assurance that by this very name and nature, He is, and He will be with His covenant people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the family of faith. And so this is, this is very very significant here because throughout Exodus, God does mighty deeds and he's going to say again and again, it is so that Israel and so that Egypt and so that the world will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. This is, this is bigger than what's just going on for these people in, in the upper corner of, of Africa here. This is what God is doing for the world. We need to understand the, the, the thrust of Exodus. Here's what a, a book called God who makes himself known, the missionary heart of the book of Exodus. It says that the whole story of this book is an ex- exposition of the name of Exodus three fourteen. The The book of Exodus is concerned with explaining God's name. That is who he is the rest of the book, and in particular, the way that God's going to deliver Israel is going to show us further what that name means. And so this writer says it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of I am Yahweh in the Exodus narrative because knowing the Lord is the theme and the ultimate goal of the plagues and everything. And we're going to see that more in the weeks ahead. This is significant. The Lord, that title speaks of sovereignty, but also here it's going to speak of his saving nature that would be revealed in the Exodus story, revealed in such a way that even the patriarchs who had heard this name before didn't have it revealed to them in this way as the saving God. And so in the book of Exodus, we're going to see Egyptians and Africans and Arabs come to know Yahweh as their only Lord and Savior. This isn't just about Israel. This is about the nations. But that's to come in the weeks ahead. Just know that's where this is going. And the implication of I am, one of them is, and you're not. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not able to save. But I am. And that Yahweh is not like us. And there are several implications of His name that I want us to consider here today. Some implications... Of I am or, or Yahweh, the first is that that He is independent. The I already implied by the, the, the burning bush implied this I who speaks. That the fact that it wasn't being consumed was it wasn't dependent on the bush for fuel. It was actually independent of, just like God is above and beyond His creation. He can come down into His creation, but He's apart from it, and He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything of this world. And yet He chooses to use us, but he, in the process, He doesn't depend on us. He doesn't depend on anything, but everyone and everything depends on Him. And that's one of the big messages of the plagues as it goes out, is that you need to depend on God for everything. And even some of the Egyptians will see that and fear God. But Israel's deliverance won't be dependent on Moses. And praise the Lord, our salvation is not dependent on us and our work. Amen? Isn't that good news? That He is independent and not dependent on us. And so one of the applications here of this is that we're not independent. We like to think we're autonomous, but we're not. We depend on Him whether we acknowledge it or not. So that's a part of the I of the I am. And then also He is self-existent. I am, and, and it's, it's kind of a, a cryptic description there, so you can read, and I've read tons of pages about people trying to expound what this is, but, but one of the implications here is that eternally being is a part of his being, that's the, he's the only being that eternally being is, is a very part of, or say it another way, existence is part of his essence. That's not true of anyone else. Everything else came into being. He is just the being that created everything and the beginning of everything. In fact, he has no beginning or the end. He, he says in Revelation, I am the beginning and the end. The shorter catechism says he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We're going to sing at the end of this service about the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. That's who we worship, the throne of God above, He changes not, and so His compassions they fail not. He always is. He's faithful. He always is who He is. I will be who I will be is is an implication as well. He always is. He never becomes. He always just is, and and that's hard for even us to wrap our minds around because everything we else we know is not like that. God just. Is Here's what Alexander McLaren said, God lives forevermore, a flame that does not burn out. Therefore, his resources are inexhaustible. His power is unwearied. His gifts diminish not. He gives and is none the poorer. He works and is never weary. He loves and loves forever. The fire burns on. I love that. And the application of, of his self-existence is that we need to remember we owe our existence to him. The very fact that we're alive and breathing and here today is only due to the one in whom we live and move and have our being. But that's not all. The I am also implies his, that he is self-sufficient. And this is important in this context because Moses feels and is insu- insufficient. And as he asks God, what is your name? God reveals a name. It would speak to His self-sufficiency and sustaining power. I am who I am. There is nothing that sustains this God. This is the God who sustains everything else all the time. Right now, He is sustaining the universe by the word of His power through His Son. And the implication for Moses and Israel even through this is that He can sustain you. In fact, He spoke of His grace earlier and his love and his care that he's going to help them he's going to bring them out which is good for Moses because he felt weak like we often do but he needed to trust that his grace is sufficient that his power is made perfect in weakness I love what the Puritan Matthew Henry said of this the greatest and best man in the world must say By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul says. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But God alone says absolutely, I am that I am. He's the only one who can say that. We need His grace. But God flat out is. And that is grace for us. But we need to admit we're insufficient. We need to admit our weakness not try to act like we're not. We need to trust His sufficient grace and trust His power. But that's not all. There's another implication here that He is the covenant-keeping or the, the keeping covenant God. In verse 14, it ends telling God's covenant people, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, there's that covenant name Yahweh, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And, And then verse 17 is going to repeat the covenant promise of land. And even before the burning bush, Exodus 2, verse 24, right before this story, says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. There's a lot of mentions of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob In just a few verses here. In fact, verse 7 of chapter 3, when God first identifies himself, it is, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. And and he goes on. But notice he doesn't say, I was. I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am. He is still the covenant keeping God beyond the lifetime of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is still. What he's saying through this, in part, is he is still with Abraham in glory now. They still have that relationship now, even though Abraham died many hundreds of years ago when he said this. Jesus used this verse and he used this verb tense to correct the Sadducees, to correct the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection or life after death. Maybe you've heard that's why they were so sad, you see. The Sadducees were so sad because they didn't believe in that. But here's what Jesus said to them in Mark 12. Jesus answered, You do not know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Have you not read in the book of Moses at the burning bush passage how God spoke, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus expounds that by saying this, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Because they thought once you die, that, that, that's, that's it. There's not the resurrection or afterlife. And Jesus says, no, don't you remember the burning bush? You, you learned this when you were becoming a, a Pharisee, or when you were a little kid in the synagogue. You learned, and what does God say? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was, but I am right now. In other words, present tense, God is the God of all of His covenant people in history. They are alive with Him. The I Am is in continual covenant relationship with them after they die. As we, we hear in other scriptures, believers who are absent from the body are present with their Lord. He is their God, now and forever in heaven. He is right now the God of loved ones in Christ who have departed. He is their God, and they are experiencing the fullness of those blessings. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. See, another time that Jesus applied what God says in Exodus 3, and we could look at other statements by Moses where he says, Yahweh, your God, is the faithful God who keeps his covenant Or Daniel would say, I prayed to Yahweh, the great and awesome God, keeping His covenant and loyal love. This is the same covenant keeping God yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to see something else here in John 8. The God of our fathers, and before I even get to John 8, I I just want to say as we think of God being the God now of loved ones who have gone on to glory, God can equally say, I am the God of Dean. I am the God of Kemp. I am the God of Don. I am the God of Wes. I am the God of Joan. I am the God of Marion. I am the God of Ty. I am the God of Kevin. I am the God of Jerry and of Bill and of Alvin and of Frank, and of Howard, and of Bob, and of Art, and of Delphin, and Marsha, and Norm, and Ann, and, and many more names. I haven't gotten them all, but you can add the name of a loved one who has departed in Christ, and, and I believe of, of, of your babies that have been lost also as well, to know that He is their God. You can trust this I Am. You can trust the I Am who is the independent and self-sufficient, self-existent, covenant-keeping God. The one that we read in Revelation 1 who says, I Am who was and who is and who is to come the Almighty. And I love the image in Revelation 21. I was just reading it this morning where it's the glories of heaven where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more of any of that for loved ones who are in Christ. And God says to His His children will inherit these things and I will be their God forever. What a great comfort to know that is the reality right now of loved ones who have died in Christ. He is their God forever. They're inheriting all of that now. And that is the great future for those who are in Christ. And so that's who the Lord is, but that takes us to who Christ is for us. And now we look at John 8, verse 58. He's speaking to Israel's elders. And Jesus said to them, John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself. Why would they pick up stones for blasphemy? He'd he'd claimed all kinds of things before, but as soon as he says, I am, they pick up stones. Understanding this is a a claim to the name of the Lord who is eternally existent. I am, before Abraham, is is taking the Lord's name in vain if that's not true. They knew he is is claiming and identifying with the God of Abraham. Not only the God of Abraham, but before Abraham. The I am of the Old Testament. And so if he was just a man saying he's an angel, they would think he's off his rocker, if you will. But when he claims to be that name right there, they pick up rocks to throw at him. There's a number of statements like this that Jesus makes. One of them is, we can look at John 10. You can look at some of those later. There's two more I am statements, and they say there in John 10, We stone you because you, a man, claim to be God. He would say there in John 10, I am, this is verses 9 and 11, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We know in the Old Testament, God is the only one who can save. And yet Jesus says, I am the door. You've got to come through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever believes in in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe? He says that at Lazarus's grave. He is the only hope. He is the only way to a holy God, the one that we sang about, by trusting his life, by trusting his death, and by trusting his resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He also says in John 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down my life for the sheep. God is the, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23 Jesus says here now I am the good shepherd I lay down my life for my sheep and he says my sheep follow my voice they obey me and so I need to ask you do you do you follow his voice do you obey him is, can you say of Jesus he is the Lord who is your shepherd if you don't Uh, These passages and Jesus in these very passages is calling you to, to turn from your sin and trust in Him and come to Him as the I Am. If you need help with that, my brother and sister up front would love nothing more than to talk with you more, pray with you at the end of the service so that you can know this Lord Jesus. But I want you to go to chapter 18 as we wrap up here. And there's an even more powerful encounter when they arrest Him in Gethsemane The Gospels tell us there was a great multitude, police, they're armed, they have weapons, there's a whole bunch of them, it's dark, and they need to identify Christ, so John 18, 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he knows exactly what's going to happen, he came forward, and he said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said to them, I am he, most of your Bibles have the word he there, the original is just I am, ego me. It's it's the exact same phrase in their translation of Exodus 3. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, literally that's what he said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. There's a battalion, there's a whole detachment of forces that are coming here, and Jesus just says the words, I am, and they all fall down, they all fall back. And, and your Bible may have he in italics to, to say that it's, it's added. One of the translations I looked at has I am in all caps in this context. And all the Jews who were present there, these words, they knew very well. I am. Even the way he says it, they feel the, the force of him saying it, but they, they also fear, feel the force of the eternal, powerful I am knocking them off their feet. They're coming to arrest him and they're all knocked back. Jesus, again, is showing that he is that one who was speaking in the burning bush. He is that Yahweh, and he is actually in charge of this whole thing. He is in sovereign control. He could say to them, you are here to arrest me, you and what army? That army on the ground, those guys laying down? He doesn't say it that way, but the implication clearly is, you're not going to take me in. I'm going to willingly go. To Pilate. And in a real sense, when he stands before Pilate, Pilate is actually also standing before the real judge in his presence. But Turn back to Exodus 3 and just see that Jesus, when when you see how Jesus speaks as the I Am, what Yahweh was for Moses, Christ is for us. What the Lord says in the burning bush is what the Lord Jesus says to his people in the gospel. Just look at some of these. So Exodus 3, verse 10, when God says, Come, I will send you. Jesus also speaks in those terms. <clears throat> he says, "I am sending you." Even so, I am sending you. He's, our mission is different than Moses's. Our where we're sent is different, but He is sending us also to go and to speak His truth in the world, around here or to the ends of the earth, like we heard about earlier. He is sending us in John twenty, verse twenty-one. And in verse 12 of Exodus 3, I will be with you. Isn't that what Jesus says as he sends us to our important mission, make disciples, all the nations? What does he say at the end? And lo, I am what? With you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Lord. And even in verse 12, that language, this shall be the sign for you. There was a sign. That they would see in the future, that's the very same language the, the angels announced when Christ was born. His final deliverance in, in Exodus had, would come through Jesus. And they said to the angels in the field, this, or to the shepherds, this will be the sign for you. Go to Bethlehem, you'll find this baby in a manger that would confirm this word from heaven. In verse 15, this is my name forever, thus I am to be remembered. We're called to remember Jesus. In the New Testament, we're called to praise his name forever and ever to all generations. And I love this how in verse 16, when he says, I have observed, I like the New American Standard wording, I am concerned about, or the LSB has, I indeed care. If there was any question, and, and there would have been for some of those Israelites, does, does, does the Lord care? In fact, Later in Israel, on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples they see a storm, and they say to Jesus, "Don't you care? Don't you care?" And Jesus arose and Jesus told the wind, "Peace, be still." And then he told them, "Do not fear." He was with them. They didn't need to fear. but he's, he's not just showing he cares, He's showing that He is in control. Does Jesus care? when we are in great pain, we are in great loss, there's a line of the hymn that says, does Jesus care when my dearest loved ones are are lost? It asks a series of questions. I think this is one of Pastor Dale's favorite songs. The chorus goes like this. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. My heart is touched. His heart is touched with my grief when the days are dreary the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. Amen? So when days are difficult, when they're long, when they're dreary, when it's hard to sleep, you can know your Savior cares. He is there. He's with you. You can speak to Him. You can commune with Him in those times. The one who promises to bring His people up out of affliction. And one way that promise can be fulfilled is by us being brought up to glory when our time is up. He can heal in this life, but often He, he gives us the grace to sustain us. We can pray for healing, pray for grace. But I love how verse 18 ends of Exodus 3. They're wanting to sacrifice to the Lord our God. We're to offer up sacrifices to a praise. Not animals anymore. Jesus is the final substitute sacrifice, but we're to give our bodies as living sacrifices holy, and acceptable to God. And all this is for Jesus, the great, unchangeable I Am, the King of glory and of grace, who we're going to sing to. And I think as we sing, we need to have this same thought that we started with. Who am I? Who am I? One of the ladies at the Bible study at Gold Country Retirement shared this song. It was actually a song Kemp used to listen to all the time. When I think of how he came so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary, take my place, I ask myself the question, Who am I? Who am I that the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will, thy Lord? The answer I may never know why he ever loved me so, but that old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? And when I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave him never Life forever. Oh, I wonder what I could have done to deserve God's only Son, to fight my battles until they're won. For who am I? Let me pray. Our great God, we say with the saints of old, Who am I? Who are we? And yet we thank you that you have answered the question of, Who are you, Lord? Even as Saul on the Damascus Road asked that question, who are you, Lord, and you revealed that you are Jesus, you are the Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in light of these truths and find comfort and strength and grace in Jesus, the great I am. Amen.